Hi, you're listening to Ghost Notes and Friends, the podcast where we look at music inside and out with friends. My name is Noah. You probably know me better as Polyphonic. I'm Corey. You probably know me as 12-Tone. And today we're joined by, I think, one of my like oldest friends on YouTube. Let's Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Alex. I am a YouTuber and online creator and I do a, a whole bunch of stuff. You might know me from my YouTube channel, Technicality. I also wrote a book called Behold This Compost. I have a Nebula original called Alex Goes Bananas. And I do a handful of other stuff that you might have seen or not seen. And yeah, that Nebula original was actually kind of going to be where we were going to start our conversation today. Can you just tell us a little bit about Alex Goes Bananas? Yeah, totally. Alex Goes Bananas is a show where I, I'm 19 years old, by the way, for the folks listening at home, but uh, it's Alex Goes Bananas is a show where I react to and discover and explain pop culture from the 90s and early 2000s. Basically, because I'm 19 years old, born after 9-11, born in the 21st century, I haven't really been able to, like, I didn't know about Limp Biscuit going into the show. So the show is where I like react to these sort of 90s phenomenons for the first time. Limp Biscuit is a favorite of this show, actually. This is not the first time that they have come yeah. up on Ghost Notes. <laughs> As it should be. Uh, yes, very good. Do you want to talk a little bit about sort of how this came to be? Obviously, you know, I was there, but I, I'm sure the experience was pretty different from your perspective. So I would love to hear your version. Yeah, whenever I hung out with like other educational YouTubers, a lot of them were in like their 20s or 30s. And because of that, of course, you know, they all lived during like the 80s and 90s. And I, of course, hadn't. So we always like to play like this little game, which is like, hey, Alex, like, have you ever heard of blank? Or hey, Alex, have you ever heard of the Spice Girls? Hey, Alex, have you ever heard of pick another topic from Alex Goes Bananas season one? And of course, nine times out of 10, I hadn't. And everyone seemed to get like a really big kick out of the fact that I didn't actually know like what Rob Zombie was. So we decided, like, what if we turn this... That, that one hurt me personally, but... <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I was watching The Matrix again the other day, and I recognized the Rob Zombie song immediately, and I was like, this is what all the work was for. It is all paid off. Yes. Yes. Mission accomplished. But anyways, so we, we decided to turn that into a show. I, of course, have a rather extensive history making educational content online. You know, I have a lot of experience like explaining stuff online, like taking concepts and learning about them and explaining. So we wanted to see if we could combine that aspect with kind of this, let me learn about this thing that everyone else knows about for the first time. How's the experience been kind of broadly speaking learning about 90s music because it's a very interesting time. 90s and early 2000s is a very interesting time in music history. Yeah, definitely. It's been pretty great, honestly. The experience is varied, let's say. But honestly, <laughs> a lot of the things... <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> we have... Uh, yeah. yeah, we have yeah. The, full, the full spectrum. Looking back on it. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of like what the best thing I was introduced to was from the show. But honestly, because what I found really interesting was specifically the things that like did translate to my generation before the show even started. Because at one point during the Napster episode, Radiohead came up because of course they released Kid A through Napster to begin with. And also when they released In Rainbows, that was released for free back when, when that came out with a pay what you want model. But I remember when making that episode, of course, I've already listened to Radiohead quite a lot. My friends were all big Radiohead fans. But of course, the other one in the episode, the other band we talked about was Metallica. And I'd known of Metallica, but I hadn't like listened to them a whole lot. Metallica is pretty good, though. So I'm surprised I hadn't listened to it beforehand. My point is, is that like what I found really interesting was that like it's not like I was completely oblivious to the 90s. Like I knew what Radiohead was and I knew I knew of Metallica. 
And I'm actually I'm a big Radiohead fan. But of course, I didn't know what like Limp Biscuit is, or I didn't know what Rob Zombie is. And there are very specific elements of the 90s that I think translated to my generation and very specific elements that did not, because of course, why would we know about Limp Biscuit? Like, you know. Why wouldn't you, you know? Limp Biscuit did a cover of Behind Blue Eyes. I think it's really interesting because I think specifically in the late 90s and early 2000s, for some reason, there's not much music that came out there that has cultural staying power. Because like, I think I know lots of 80s music, lots of 70s music. Like, I'm sure that you know plenty about like Led Zeppelin or Pink mm-hmm. Floyd or things like that, who were kind yeah. of these dominant forces. But like, Limp Biscuit was not this niche phenomenon. Like, no. Limp yeah. Biscuit were huge, but it feels like there's all of these people in that era that were very big that we've kind of just all collectively decided, no, It's okay that these aren't influencing the culture a generation onwards. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, Noah and I obviously were much closer in age than you are to either of us, Alex. (laughs) But there's still an age difference there. And we've talked about this before, where like Noah's a couple years younger than me. And so the early 2000s is a period that we kind of have different relationships with. Interesting. Yes. And especially like that, looking back and realizing like, I was sort of becoming like a teenager around the time that new metal was just popular music. Like this was what everyone listened to, like Limp Bizkit, like Slipknot, Disturbed, Corn. You know, obviously there was still like pop going on too. Like Britney Spears existed. I'm not saying she didn't, but like this was just part of mainstream culture in a way that like there is no, to my knowledge, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Alex, but to my knowledge, there is no like metal band with that level of like cultural saturation these days like yeah definitely one thing that i recently this is slightly tangential but i was watching through the tv show monk i don't know if either of y'all remember that show vaguely it's not super important the show itself but the point is that in a season four episode there's just a cameo by corn (laughs) with no like setup or preparation it was just like this like cop procedural like comedy cop procedural expected the entire audience to just recognize and understand who Korn was. Asking a lot of the audience. <laughs> I, was, I was the right age. It's one of the last periods where rock was actually a chart-viable music, like rock-type stuff. And I think we might have known, I mean, looking back at that era, we might know why people soured on rock in the charts. <laughs> yeah. I do like a lot of that stuff still. <laughs> like, I don't want this podcast to just sound like we're dunking on the early 2000s. There was a lot of really good music there. There was also a lot of music that wasn't good, but that's true of every generation. Yeah. And it's also interesting to see how, like, like you said, like growing up as a teenager where these different kind of like genres were the most prominent, of course, it kind of went from like rock to then kind of pop and now, of course, rap. Just seeing like these were the genres that were most popular, most mainstream in our formative years and kind of how they've impacted us. That's really interesting. Yeah, and like the new metal thing specifically was this like, it was like a micro generation. It was like a couple years. And if you weren't exactly the right age at exactly the right time, Mm -hmm. it just completely missed you. Yeah. I think my equivalent of the kind of like micro generation, which interestingly though, like has more staying power, I think, than new metal is when I was in high school, emo was huge. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But like, you know about emo music, right? Alex, like you're familiar with like, my yeah. Chemical Romance in a way that you weren't with, like, yes. Limp Biscuit, right? Yeah. I'm aware of, like, the Black Parade and all that. 
I think one of the big reasons for, for that is that SoundCloud rap, which is something that I'm sure you have knowledge of. I know nothing about SoundCloud rap, but I know mm-hmm. that a lot of it is influenced by kind of like emo and screamo, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially like thinking how much I hear emo trap like among people my age like just hanging out with remember hanging out with people but just like hanging out with like other people my age i'd hear like like i don't personally listen to a lot of juice world lucid dreams is incredible but besides that like i'm not really into the emo trap scene but just how often i hear that like in cars or at like house parties or whatnot back when those were a thing it didn't like surprise me or anything but i was just like oh okay this is interesting because that's not like i said what i usually listen to but i am familiar with it just because that's what all the kids are listening to So what do you usually listen to? I mean, I know that you've got pretty Mm -hmm. kind of like broad and deep music taste, but in kind of like a snapshot in the most kind of simplified way possible. Yeah, it is very broad. The best way I can try to summarize it is it's like, predominantly hip-hop and also hyper-pop, but also, like, a lot of, like... Also, like, my favorite album is In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, which is, like, indie folk or, like, indie rock or something like that. So that obviously is neither of the two genres I just mentioned. And I also do listen to a lot of, like... Also, like, more classic rock, I suppose, or, like, I do listen to a lot of Pink Floyd. I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. I was gonna ask you to define classic rock because I was, like, getting really nervous, but... Classic rock, like, disturbed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Classic rock, like Paramore. I don't know. Oh, God. I also think generally, this is a big kind of generational shift where your generation is kind of the first one where, like, you've grown up with streaming. Yeah. You've been able to stream music pretty much your whole life. Exactly. I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. And because of that, like, I think for Corey and I growing up, people's music tastes were a lot more limited because there's a barrier to entry. You know, if I'm into rock and I'm like, I'm not going to go to like HMV and buy a CD and spend 10 bucks on a pop artist just to listen to them to see if I like them. And that's something that I'm really I'm kind of like, I think it's so cool that kids are able to grow up with just at the click of their fingertips. They can try something with zero barrier to entry. Whereas kind of in our days, it was a lot more like there's this investment in this. So you're going to kind of be incentivized towards staying in stuff that's comfortable to you because you don't want to buy a CD just for it to rot away in like your car's console, you know? I completely agree, yeah. Yeah, although I will point out, like, without endorsing any illegal activities, <laughs> yes. we were also the generation of Napster and LimeWire. Yes. Like, we also had access to music that we didn't pay for. It was just more complicated. And I think that we're kind of the bridge between that, because definitely by the time I was in high school, I was just not to endorse anything illegal, but I was just torrenting everything. Yeah. yeah. Like, the barrier to entry was kind of fading away. Yeah, although I I think looking back, my behavior with that was still very sort of, I'm going to stop saying I'm not endorsing anything illegal, just like that blanket statement from here forward. I did use LimeWire and definitely downloaded quite a few computer viruses from it. Also, but usually what I would do is I would like find an artist I was interested in and then just search for some songs. And so like in that, like I'm still 
it's not like the browsing experience you get on something like Spotify or YouTube or whatever. You still have to go in with an intent. And so it still does sort of push you towards stuff you know. Yeah, I think the key element here is just like barrier for entry, right? And the two biggest factors in that is cost and also just ease of access. Because like you said, like if I had to pay like $10 for every album I listened to, I very likely would never have found like in the airplane over the sea. Because like I don't listen to like a ton of indie folk or anything besides like that and like, I don't know what, like Sofiane Stevens. But like, it's not like a genre that I would consider myself like a massive, massive fan of insofar as I would just like go to a store and buy any old indie folk record. But of course, because that's readily available at my fingertips, it's something that I can just do. And even with Torrentine too, it's cost is, I'll just say I'm not Torrentine movies right now, because of course not. And I totally didn't get a warning from Disney that I apparently can't torrent Jojo Rabbit specifically through Spectrum. Thanks, Spectrum. There's a cost of time as well, right? Like there's a cost of time in... Have you ever seen LimeWire, Alex? I've like played around with some of the simulators, but I haven't like, of course, actually used it. Wait, wait, wait. There's LimeWire <laughs> simulators? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? <laughs> I remember... Okay, wait. Maybe I'm thinking of like WinRAR or something, but I remember just looking up like LimeWire. Let me Google this right now. Simulator. Oh, I guess you can still download LimeWire. What it basically was is I can't find the website right now, but it was like a website that like mocked the experience of using LimeWire back when it first came out so that you didn't like actually download anything, but you could kind of like play around with like some of the LimeWire tropes and whatnot. And yeah. You need to find that website for me for the nostalgia trip. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to see this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I spend so much time on like Last FM or like just apps that connect to my Spotify that just let me like see all the data about the music I'm listening to. And I feel like just having that breadth of data, knowing exactly which artists I've listened to an exact number of times is pretty unprecedented. And it allows me to see like, okay, I know exactly what I like and how many times I've listened to that and how I can find like other things like it in a way that I don't really think we, we've had before. Yeah. Yeah, that is so foreign to my experience of music even today. I very much remember when iTunes came out, like play counts and watching my play counts and thinking that was the coolest thing. Yeah. yeah. For the longest time in my teenage years, what I did was I would like set my entire playlist to sort by play counts ascending and then live update. And so I would just play it and just try and get like all of my play counts to be exactly even. And then it would play through the whole thing, which wasn't great because it would then like the subsort was by band. And so it was like you were just listening to a chunk of a band. and It would be nicer if it was by song title. But anyway, that's nice. A minor technological gripe about like a thing from 15 years ago. Yeah. On a similar note, I have listened to 1000 Gex exactly 666 times, and I plan on listening to it absolutely no more, just so I can keep it at exactly that number. Why wouldn't you want to listen to it a thousand times? Don't you need to listen to it a thousand times? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's good, because then I can, yeah, that's the next milestone. Perfect. And that just gives me an excuse to listen to more Gex, and that's all I ever need. That's really, that's it. <laughs> yeah. How could you want more? I think that's something that's really interesting and the medium through which you listen to music. And I mean, I'm a vinyl fan and I'm really interested in just kind of generally how the medium, whether that's not even just whether that's digitally, but even the medium of whether you're listening to something on Spotify versus YouTube mm -hmm. or yeah. things like that, like it really changes the way that you listen to music. I think that's something that's really compelling to me about kind of picking the brain of a younger generation, because I bet you that 
if you kind of like put us both in a blank room and just observed our music listening habits, I bet you mine and Corey's habits would probably be pretty similar, but I bet you yours would look completely different. Definitely. Yeah. I also think about that a lot, just how like medium affects the art form itself, because I was rewatching Zack Stone is going to be famous the other day, which is this 2013 show by Bo Burnham, a hot take. I think it's his most underrated work, but basically it aired on MTV and it's like a mockumentary about this kid who like spends his life savings. He's like just got out of high school. He spends his life savings, like hiring a camera crew to follow him around in like an attempt to be famous, but he has like no like actual skills or anything. So each episode is him like trying to be famous for like a new thing. The first episode is of course him just being like a reality star. And then the second episode is him making like hit music. And it's weird because watching this episode, his whole genius idea, like the whole plot of the episode is that he wants to make music that's like 30 seconds long or like make songs that are like really short because the whole point is that songs are getting like, as we can stream, songs are getting shorter and shorter as we only want to listen to like the favorite or the best parts of the song. And of course this was done in 2013. And of course now we have like TikTok and like all of this where it literally just came true. He predicted all of this shit. This is incredible. But yeah, it's weird as we see like, songs getting shorter as we optimize for the medium of streaming. TikTok as a musical phenomenon is so interesting to me. TikTok is like the first social media where I'm like, I am completely out of touch. I am too old for this and I am not going to learn it. What's your kind of relationship to TikTok, especially in terms of kind of like music? Do you use TikTok? Do you find music on TikTok? How do you interact with it? Honestly, I feel like I use TikTok less than a lot of my peers. I'm on it a bit. I'm on it probably, let's say 20 or 30 minutes a day, which is not a lot for me considering I'm on Twitter for like hours. Well, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. But that's Twitter. But it's but that's Twitter. Yeah, that's exactly. Anyways, but yeah, it's, I definitely, I remember when like it first became popular, there was definitely a sentiment among like me and my close friends of like, like, what is this? Like, we didn't really get it at first either, especially because it was originally like musically or whatever. And musically was just always kind of seen as like pretty cringy and never really had like super wide stream appeal in the way TikTok does. So when it first came on the scene, I was just like, why do I want to see like Dixie D'Amelio just standing there? But I think now as it's kind of solidified itself in culture, I definitely see the appeal of it and I'm on it more. The algorithm is incredibly good at figuring out what's in a video and figuring out which videos appeal to you, which is great, I guess. Cool. And terrifying. And terrifying, yeah. Yeah, upsides and downsides. Yeah, you know. But yeah, no, it's also interesting seeing like how so many major record labels are now just making so many more bets on up and coming TikTok creators. And some of them are like paying off and some of them are not. And it's also interesting listening to music that like, it's not like it was made explicitly for it to go viral on TikTok, but some songs you can definitely hear like, okay, I'm pretty sure the artist did this because it would make for like a banger TikTok. Like for instance, a new Olivia Rodrigo album, Brutal, first track on the album. Great song, I really like it. But the chorus, I don't know if it actually has gone viral on TikTok, but she literally just pauses and goes, damn, it's brutal out here. That's my banger cover of the song, by the way. Please do it. Olivia Rodrigo, hit me up because this is this. I'm Be careful, we might get copyright claimed for that one. <laughs> <laughs> get ready for the DMCA notice. But I remember listening to that for the first time and thinking, yeah, that was probably made exactly just for TikTok. I don't know if it was or not, but it certainly sounds like it. That's a little surreal when you hear that in a song. Mm -hmm. I think this actually brings us to an interesting way to kind of get back to where we started, which is a lot of the Alex Goes Banana stuff. When you're talking about like music being made explicitly for a certain medium, I think a lot of stuff, especially things like new metal, it's a very visual genre. A lot of this stuff was made very much for like MTV and the kind of days of the music video. Is that something that you've kind of 
noticed in exploring this stuff? Have you kind of picked up on any kind of intentionality, any trends in intentionality? I've been looking at uh, at like how music videos have been made. This stands out to me to this day. I remember when I watched the wannabe music video for the Spice Girls, it starts with just a minute of near silence, like with them just running around causing chaos. Like it starts with them running up to like homeless people and stealing their clothes and then like yelling at some little kids and then throwing papers everywhere. And all while they're doing this, they're saying nothing. Like it's just silent, but it's not like silent. Like you can hear the papers flying. Like you can hear the audio. They just all chose to be quiet. I don't know why that is, but it was obviously not made for like YouTube where of course, if that was on YouTube, why would you ever see a video with like a silent minute to begin with where they're just like running around doing random My guess is that it was made for like a different medium and there was a reason that that was there and a good context for that. And I just don't know what that is now because it's, of course, so removed from that. Back in the days of and I actually have never watched MTV in my life because I live in Canada and we had the patrician much music, which is Canadian MTV. Yeah. The thing is, there were entire kind of like shows set around watching music videos and you didn't get to choose which video to watch. So if that Mm -hmm. came on, that was just what was on and you were just watching that. Yeah. yeah, and just adding that sort of pads it out, too, so they get to be more of the airtime if they have this sort of dramatic scene at the front. And it just, in a thing where you're not just, like, queuing up, like, I'm going to go listen to the Spice Girls. It, it gives you a second to sort of be like, okay, this is the Spice Girls. This is what I'm expecting. Mm-hmm. Not speaking to that specific intro, because that specific <laughs> intro is very weird. Yeah. But to sort of... In general. It was not uncommon. And, you know, it, it still happens, but, you know, having music videos where... You know, you start with like effectively a skit that then like precedes the actual music. What's really annoying, what I hate the most, the skit preceding the music, I don't love, but you know, it's okay. What's the worst is the mid song skit where they like, and this was a big thing. I swear to God, like every friggin' Fallout Boy music video had a mid-song skit or something like that. I don't know. It was all of these things where like it would stop and it would stop like right before a big chorus. And then you'd get this little minute skit of the band members acting and they don't act well. They're musicians, not actors. And then you'd cut to the big chorus. Yeah, that's exactly what happened with Limp Bizkit. Yeah. Part of that is to make it so that like it's harder to rip. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you see this in like YouTube stuff today. Well, they'll sort of do something similar with some diegetic sound or whatever, so that you can't just like use a the YouTube downloader and convert that to an MP3 or whatever, like to make it harder for you to just pirate the thing. And like back in the day, you would do that with like recording devices, like literal recording devices, and people did that. Again, not that I ever use LimeWire, but some of the tracks that I got from LimeWire ended with radio DJs talking yeah. because someone had just recorded it off the radio, hypothetically in the LimeWire that I didn't use. What are some of the other kind of music video trends that you've picked up on kind of watching and researching a lot of old stuff? I can't really think of other trends, but I will say that bad acting is definitely commonplace. Yeah, because I, I think I even pointed this out in the Limp Biscuit video where the members of Limp Biscuit do like this little sketch where they're like, hey, we just got funding for the music video and we need to figure out like what to do. And then one of them's like, why don't we go driving? Because this was for the Roland music video. And they were like, yeah, let's go driving. And that was like the whole thing. And they all acted it very awkwardly. Like someone had just pointed a camera at them and was like, quick, we have to do this now in 10 seconds. <laughs> That's probably what happened. <laughs> yeah, they were probably like, oh, we forgot a couple of these shots on the shot list. Let's knock this out now. 
I do also think that, and obviously there's still a lot of bad actors nowadays, mm -hmm. but also everyone generally has spent their lives in front of a camera in some way or another. So even if they can't act, they're at least comfortable in front of cameras. Mm -hmm. That was not the case. Like people are not used to, and there's still a lot of people that aren't, but I think more and more people are used to what they look like on camera, what their voice sounds like, you know, like there's a kind of self-awareness because we're living in a world where we are always kind of on camera and always performing for each other. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that's exactly what Zach Stone is going to be famous is about, um, which is basically about how people like interact on camera and how we take like, because we're in front of cameras all the time, we take ourselves and we make ourselves into like reality show versions that aren't actually accurate of, you know, the true depth of us, but just like caricatures of ourselves. And then we perform those caricatures on camera and then, you know, we put them out into the world. And that's exactly what the show is about. So now I can show the show a bit more. Everyone go watch Zach Stone is going to be famous. Yeah. And that's definitely, you know, as you both have met me in person, this is not quite what my voice sounds like. Yeah. Not completely different, but, you know, I'll go on. One of my friends, I was hiking with her the other day and she was like, Alex, there are some points in your conversation where you just sound exactly like John Mulaney. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I'm going for. <laughs> I just get like very expressed. <laughs> it's exactly what I'm going for. Yeah. <laughs> My party trick is putting on my polyphonic voice and like changing from being Noah to being polyphonic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would always like, whenever it's like, Alex, do a technicality thing, I'd be like, hey guys, I'm here. Let's get technical. And then of course I can like go into this like very formal, like, how are you doing right now? The other day I learned blank and this, and it just like in a very put together sort of way. And it's weird that, cause it's a very like noticeable switch that I think happens for a lot of people who make videos online, but yeah. Another generational thing that I'm interested in is not just music, but music content in terms of kind of like you've grown up with, I don't know, great YouTube channels like 12 Tone or Polyphonic or just naming a few off the top of my head here. Yeah, just a couple that came to mind. Even people like Anthony Fantano. There's a lot of these different kind of like music cultural things in the online space that I think is, mm -hmm. again, culturally very different. Do you watch a lot of music YouTube? Are you into that sort of stuff? Yeah, that actually works out well. I believe I was fans of both 12 Tone and Polyphonic before I met both of you. Oh. Like long before. I watch a lot of Anthony Fantano, much to some acquaintances' dismise. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's really interesting, especially because I think that's made me a lot more, I don't know if critical is the right word, but a lot more critical of the media I consume, of course, specifically the music, because I have so much choice at my fingertips and because I have so many opinions about that choice on my fingertips, I feel like I have to be a lot more selective about the music I choose to consume because, of course, if you can listen to anything, why not just listen to the best? And that's why you exclusively listen to Limp Biscuit's cover of Behind Blue Eyes on repeat. Exactly. Exactly. Only that. Only that. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Only Will Smith getting jiggy with it. That's my <laughs> top scrobbled thing ever. Famous YouTuber Will Smith. Famous YouTuber Will Smith, yeah. Because looking back to when, like, when I was roughly your age, you know, music criticism existed, right? There were critics out there and people paid attention to them. But like, at least in my social circles, like the only people I really got opinions from were my actual, like, in real life friends, like yeah. people I hung out with. And so like, those were by far the biggest tastemakers. And, and I wouldn't say that like, you know, we've replaced that, obviously not. <laughs> but like, there's still this sort of like personal social element to the way that a lot of like 
music YouTubers present themselves that you never really got from like traditional music criticism. When I was in university, that's when I first started kind of engaging with music press. And even then, it was reading Pitchfork and things like that, you know? There just wasn't the kind of content on the level of the stuff that Corey and I do. And like every now and then you'd see, you'd watch like rockumentaries and like I like I like documentaries and stuff like that. But there's not the same level of kind of like media analysis that rather than kind of telling you this is good or this is bad. At least I know what I'm trying to do is kind of trying to give people the tools to analyze something and come to those conclusions themselves. Yeah. I know a couple Zoomers who are like very into music and every one of them has more sophisticated, in-depth music tastes than I have ever had in my life. And Hmm. it's really impressive to me. Like whenever I have a conversation with Zoomers about music, I can't keep up with you guys. There's always so many artists that you've listened to. You always have such a kind of like breadth and depth of knowledge and taste. And I mean, it's my job to listen to music, but I can't keep up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I've also noticed that in some of my peers where I'm like, like my friends who are into like, AJJ and stuff like that. And I'm like, what like adults are into that? That's crazy. Or just like really, really specific, like math rock or stuff like that. And that's like, like very music nerdy sort of thing. And I'm just like always so impressed with that. And I think that's really, really cool. This whole thing is just Corey and Noah are old, the podcast. We are very old. I think it's interesting because like, I think when we were younger, people organized their music taste around scenes and around kind of you were a rocker or you were into pop or you were a rap fan. And it's really interesting because I think there are still kind of these scenes, but they're no longer scenes that are kind of based around genre. There's a lot of people where you'll see their topsters and their topster will be like Black Meaty, A Thousand Gex, King Crimson, and Peter Gabriel or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's why I find it so hard to like describe my music taste. Like you said, I have to say like hip hop and hyper pop, but then of course that's like not even scratching the surface at all. Like my, I think of all the albums I've given a 10 on Rate Your Music, among them include things like like a thousand gex, lift your skinny fist like antennas to heaven, and like blonde. Everyone loves Godspeed, yeah. I think that's really interesting because there's definitely also more of a consensus in a way as to what's good. When I was 19, if you asked me to do like my best albums, they would have all been kind of like some of the best classic rock albums, which, and I mean, I still think there's a lot of great albums there. But then if you asked my friend who was into metal, or if you asked Corey, some of Corey's best albums would probably be some of the best new metal albums, some of the best metal albums. Whereas now I feel like there's a lot of people where things like I know so many people that will say, like, lift your skinny fists or in the airplane over the sea. Like, you know, a lot of these things, there's kind of these disparate tastes that it seems like a generation of music fans. Generally, you'll see a lot of these things from all throughout time, different scenes, different genres. But there's this kind of consensus that these are albums that everyone should listen to. Mm -hmm. I think that's really great for consuming music because, of course, like I said, you have so much choice now having like a, a series of albums that many people have canonized or made part of like the music canon, if you will. I think having that at your disposal it is great for introducing yourself to new music that is generally considered to be pretty great. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I have in the past in many places argued against canonization as a thing, but it certainly does have its utilities. Yeah, and it's also interesting because like, It's not canonization in like the literature sense, which always seems so formal. Like it's not like we're teaching OK Computer in high school classrooms or anything. It's still like- It should be. It's this- Yeah, we should be. (laughs) Because it's interesting because like it's also this kind of combination of like 
underground and mainstream because of course like Lift Your Skinny Fist was never like at the level of like Limp Biscuit popular or anything. But now in that sort of sense, it is kind of known as one of the better albums. It's more of like a cultural canon than sort of an enforced one. Exactly. Yeah. It's more of like a, exactly what you just said. Yeah. It's not like a thing that's like forced upon you. If you don't want to listen to any of this, you don't have to. It's not taught in classrooms, but it's kind of at your disposal if you ever want to listen to a bunch of albums that are commonly considered to be pretty good albums. I think something that's really interesting that's emerging in this too is there's a lot of bands that were kind of, and a lot of them like did well in their time but weren't kind of celebrated quite to the same amount. Even Godspeed is someone like that, or King Crimson, or like you're seeing a lot of these bands, their real influence kind of start to emerge. And I think a big one, actually two big ones, I know a bunch of kind of Zoomers that love the Talking Heads, which yeah, yeah. the Talking Heads kick ass. And I think the Talking Heads are 100%. clearly, like clearly incredibly influential on a lot of music today. Steely Dan, <laughs> like a lot of people love Steely Dan. As they should, as well they should. Everyone should love Steely Dan. <laughs> Completely agree. And it's particularly funny because both of those bands I found, well, I guess David Byrne specifically from the Talking Heads, but both of those bands I found from John Mulaney specials because, of course, David Byrne <laughs> is in Sack Lunch Bunch and Steely Dan is featured very prominently in Oh Hello. It's like 90% New York references and like 10% Steely Dan references. Yeah, every now and then someone posts my Steely Dan video and tags John Mulaney. I like to think that John Mulaney has seen my Steely Dan video. I don't know, though. That's so funny. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. It's interesting to see just the appreciation for these bands from like, I don't know, the 70s and the the 80s that weren't even really appreciated in their time that are now finally getting the love. I was just going to say, like, I think that a lot of these were appreciated in their time, but not kind of in the same way. Like, I think when you look at kind of like 70s bands, lots of people appreciate Steely Dan, but it's always kind of like when people think of the big ones, it is the Zeppelins, Floyds and Bowies who are also worthy of appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. No, no one's saying bad things about them. I think this also speaks to sort of the, I'm going to use a very fancy phrase here and then I'll go back and explain what the heck I'm talking about. But the pseudo-democratization of taste-making? Yes. Oh, that's a $10 phrase. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I make the big bucks. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, basically, like, in a lot of ways, we have broken down a lot of sort of the traditional uh, gatekeepers of sort of musical tastes, things like MTV, things like major radio stations. If you go back, like, this is a thing I've talked about in a lot of contexts, maybe on this podcast, maybe not, I don't remember, but I genuinely don't believe that Beatlemania could happen today. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there were just so many fewer ways to distribute music at the time. And now we've sort of opened up to so many ways to get your music out there and get your music seen. But that also means there's so much music that we've sort of had to figure out how to find the music we want. We tend to do that through sort of our own selected gatekeepers. And that can be friends, that can also be celebrities, that can be, you know, people like Anthony Fantano plays a huge role in a lot of people's music taste. And he isn't there because someone has like decided that he's going to be the voice. He's he's not like, you know, an MTV VJ who's just like has been hired to make decisions. Mm -hmm. He's just someone who put his thoughts out there and people liked it and it picked up. And so, yeah, again, pseudo-democratization, because you still get this sort of like hub where it would be very difficult to take his place. Mm -hmm. But he also sort of got it in a much more organic way than traditional distribution methods had. Yeah, totally. And kind of on the same note, I feel like the underground, or at least what was the underground scene, is now significantly 
not less, but it's like, you know, everyone has a spot. If you want to be a musician, it's not that hard to get on Spotify. You know, everyone kind of is all starting from the same place here. It's not like you need an agent and like a booker and like a whole, like you said, the barriers for entry that, that were there in the past aren't there anymore, which just kind of allows you to witness so many different tastes. I think a real offshoot of that, of both of these things, of the pseudo-democratization and the kind of lower barrier to entry is way more experimental music getting kind of critical acclaim. It's not quite... That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite like in the top 40, but there's still way more, just so much weird stuff out there, like A Thousand Gex, like right now, everyone's kind of latest obsession for Front Runner for Album of the Year is the new Black Media album, and that is experimental and weird as hell. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Like, there's all of these very, very kind of strange boundary-pushing acts. And then when you look back on kind of the older bands that are getting the appreciation now, like the Talking Heads, like Radiohead, these are all acts that were fiercely experimental throughout their entire career. Yes, that's what I remember when I listened to Pink Floyd for the first time, like six, seven, eight months ago now. But I listened oh to Dark Side. Oh my God. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's the whole thought. That's the end of the thought. Well, thanks for listening to Ghost Notes. <laughs> <Next. laughs> but no, when I, when I listened to it for the first time, I was like completely taken aback by how like experimental it sounded, like how Dark Side of the Moon was the first Pink Floyd album I listened to. And I just remember thinking like, how do people like worship this and then be like, no, Death Grips is too out there for me. Like it really surprised me. Yeah, there's a song that starts with a minute-long sound collage of alarm clocks. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and it's incredible, of course. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Have you listened to Umagama? I have not. What is that? That is a Pink Floyd album where if you want to hear really experimental, listen to <laughs> Umagama. <laughs> yes. I'm trying to think of like, because I'm also like, okay, I've learned... I know exactly how this is going to sound, but I've learned that like you can't play shoo-shoo at house parties, which is <laughs> disappointing. People will make fun of you for that. No, but yeah, I'm trying to think of just like the most- Remember house parties? Yeah, remember those? That was crazy. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> is there any music from Alex Goes Bananas that you've like, part of the pitch is it's kind of like weird, a little, I mean, not all of it's like bad, but it's definitely like a little out there, a little strange music. Is there any that you found yourself kind of like really drawn to or been listening to after Alex Goes Bananas? Honestly, I find myself listening to Wannabe a lot more than I thought I would. It's a great song. It's near Mr. Brightside levels of getting like people really excited. I remember going into the Spice Girls episode, I really wanted to make sure that like, well, I definitely could foresee myself critiquing the Spice Girls, and I did in the episode, especially for a lot of the, I don't know, kind of consumerist tendencies that the band had. I wanted to make sure that a lot of my critiques of the Spice Girls were not, like, rooted in, like, this music is stupid. Like, you could so easily just kind of sink into misogyny when it comes to, like, criticizing the Spice Girls. And I wanted to make sure I really avoided that and kind of gave them a, a fair shot or, like, a fair analysis. And in doing so, I realized I actually do quite enjoy Wannabe. It's a very fun song. It makes sense why it's, like, one of the most recognizable pop songs of all time. Growing up in that era, I will, like, there was definitely a lot of that in criticisms of the Spice Girls. And another one that, like... I fell for for a bit and like looking back I regret but like Britney Spears oh, yes. had a lot of similar yeah. like oh that's girl stuff like you know and like going back and like listening to 
any Britney Spears song. Circus is such a banger. Circus is so, oh my God, yes. Mm. I just like so often, like when like people say like Britney Spears songs, they'll be like toxic and it'll be like, like favorite Britney Spears songs. It's like toxic. toxic. It's like, toxic. no, you're wrong. It's circus. Circus it's just is circus. so good. Like, I'm so sorry. Toxic is great. The correct answer is circus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. I'm so glad that you just threw, without any prompting from me, just like. This is just a circus fan podcast now. Yeah. Wannabe is actually one of the first kind of pop songs that I ever openly admitted to liking because I grew up with the kind of like, and again, I don't know if this was like a cultural thing when you were growing up, but when I was growing up, it was very, if you liked rock music, you did not admit to liking any pop music. You said pop music was terrible. You hated pop music. It was dumb and you loved it and danced to it when parties came on, but you did not love it. You did not like it. Wannabe was like one of the, probably the first kind of top 40 song that I admitted and to openly liking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what's really, maybe it's just like, I'm more secure about my music taste now, or maybe it's a cultural thing, but I feel like I both am very happily, like I can very happily say I like both like Olivia Rodrigo and also like clipping, like both like very. Oh yeah. yeah. Very similar artists. Very, yeah, exactly. A lot, exactly. Of, a lot of overlap. I'm actually really, I'm really excited for the clipping feature on an Olivia Rodrigo song. <laughs> that would actually be such a banger. I saw them, this was pre-pandemic, one of the last concerts I went to pre-pandemic. I saw them in Oakland and it was incredible. It was so good. I would love to see them live. Yeah, they closed on a better place and I was like, this is the best thing ever. This is the greatest thing. On an earlier episode, Corey and I invented the greatest idea for a clipping song ever, which is David Diggs freestyling over Pendulum Music by Steve Reich, which is an experimental piece of music. We'll send you Pendulum Music after. Please, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. There's like one deep cut in clipping that's like, there was like a clipping collaboration with JPEG Mafia and it's incredible. It's like, that's so good. Anyway, sorry. On the topic of sort of like admitting you like different things. Yeah. I got an email from Spotify the other day because Spotify just announced that feature where you can like see, like they just released a whole bunch of like music analytics that they made really nice and pretty in their app. But I got an email that said like, oh, you're the type of person to like both Fiona Apple and Travis Scott. And I was like, yeah, that's probably about the two most different artists I listen to. But yeah. Yeah. And it sort of speaks, I think, to the dissolution of genre that's sort of been taking place over the last, I don't want to nail down a specific amount of years, but, you know, probably like last couple decades is what I would say. Conveniently, that's roughly the time period that I've been paying attention to music, so who knows? But, like, I think going back to sort of the thing Noah was saying earlier about sort of, like, having different scenes organized around genres, like, you know, at, like, high schools or whatever, you had, like, the metal kids and the emo kids and, like, the pop kids and whatever, and they were just, like, you had different groups that, like, had different tastes. And I think that like over the last, again, 20 or so years, you've seen a lot more blending of genres musically and a lot of artists who are much harder to nail down Yeah, and say like they do this kind of music, which is unlike this other kind of music because you can sort of see a lot more overlap than you could back in the day between like Slipknot and Britney Spears. Yeah. Who are, you know, popular artists at the same time, but like- Looking forward to that collaboration as well. (laughs) <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Please, yeah. Corey Taylor, make this happen. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you listen to my podcast, Corey Taylor. <laughs> it's just all the Corys listen to this podcast. Yeah, no, obviously. Corey Taylor, Corey Feldman. That's basically it. Yeah. That's, that's We're the only the, three Corys. That's it. That's the three, yeah. <laughs> the holy trinity of Corys. <laughs> <laughs> Corey power, unite. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's like, 
That reminds me of when like Lil Nas X got kicked off the country charts for like literally just racism. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, of course, like white artists have been incorporating more trap sounds into country for, you know, years now, creating like the whole new stadium country, bro country or whatever kind of genre of music. And we've always considered that country. And then of course, when Lil Nas X does it, everyone's like, that's not real country. He had to get Billy Ray Cyrus in order to like legitimize his song, which is hilarious. But yeah, no, he was, he was literally just kicked off those charts for racism. Yeah. As genres just kind of become muddier and muddier. It also reminds me of like when Igor was nominated for best rap album. Like what was going on with that? Igor was not a rap album at all. That was insane. Excellent album too. That's another one of the albums I've given a 10 on uh, radio music. Back to Alex Goes Bananas. Something that I'm like really, really interested in is your reaction to someone like Will Smith, who mm-hmm. I'm sure you knew who Will yeah. Smith was as an actor before going mm-hmm. into that, right? Oh yeah, of course. What's the experience of kind of going back and seeing someone like Will Smith, or maybe even to a lesser extent, Gwen Stefani, who have kind of like crossed over into different avenues of pop culture from music? What's it been like to look back on that for you? Yeah, I had many moments where I kind of had this, it wasn't exactly like I was experiencing this for the first time, but I was experiencing something in its proper context for the first time. Like we've talked about the Spice Girls a lot, but like Wanna be, I remember at the at the beginning of the Spice Girls episode, I mentioned that I heard like, if you want to be my lover, you gotta get with my friends and tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Again, another banger, absolutely incredible cover right there. I'm obviously amazing at singing. Yeah. But I've heard yeah. both of those like snippets by themselves, just like, of course, because they were referenced in pop culture or whatever, but I never knew that they were like from the same song. And the same thing happened, I remember from, I'm thinking like the Family Matters episode, where of course I had like heard of like, did I do that? But I didn't know like it actually in its context. And I think I just completely forgot what your question was. I'm sorry. Like talking about someone like Will Smith, where you had this idea of kind of like Will Smith, the famous YouTube star. I remember that specific because like Will Smith, I always wondered why everyone thought he was like so likable or something like that or why he became this like. (laughs) You get the point, like, obviously, like... Like, why he became Will Smith. Yeah, why he became Will Smith. Because, honestly, like, in the stuff I knew him for, I enjoyed Ben in Black, but it's not like I was, like, crazy about, like, I don't know, name of recent Will Smith movie. It was not like I was crazy about... What's that one where he has to, like, kill his former self or something like that? After Earth or... Yeah, After Earth was the one I could think of, but... Was that the one with his son as well? Yeah, After Earth was the one with his son. Anyways, it's not like you were crazy about After Earth. Yeah, it's not like I was crazy about After Earth, right? But seeing like him actually in like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, a show that I think holds up pretty decently well, just given, you know, everything about it, I can definitely say like, oh yeah, I totally understand why people like him at this point. Like he comes off very well in the show. I think he's also an interesting one as a hip hop fan. Like you are, I think both Will Smith and MC Hammer represent a really kind of interesting different angle of rap music that was kind of very different than I imagine kind of you think of rap history as, right? Mm -hmm. Especially because, well, if you think about it, I remember MC Hammer was criticized pretty heavily for being more pop rap, not like his contemporaries, which is more like autobiographical, more like 90s rap. But he was coming out here saying you can't touch this and kind of blending you know, the genres of pop and rap. He was criticized for that, of course, for making it seem like he degraded the genre, like kind of more mass appeal-y. But yeah, it it was definitely a new perspective that like, I don't hear really, because I don't like seek out MC Hammer, right? Like I'll seek out Tribe Called Quest or something like that, right? I think I even mentioned that in one of the videos, I believe in the, it was probably the MC Hammer video where I was even like, yeah, I've listened to, you know, a fair bit of Tribe Called Quest and I quite enjoy them. That's of course very different from Hammer. I mean, 
A Tribe Called Quest, just generally to talk about them, they are amazing because, like, their beats and some of their flows, like, could come out today. Like, yeah. which is really saying something with 90s rap because yeah. stuff like Will Smith's stuff, stuff like MC Hammer, and even stuff like not just the cheesy 90s rap, but there's a lot of 90s rap that... Even now, there's kind of a bit of like the boom bop beat can be a bit cheesy at times like that. Someone like I mean, I love someone like KRS-One. He does not sound contemporaneous, but I mean, like electrical relaxation could drop today and be loved in the exact same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely agree. Yeah, I think that our theme that runs through Alex Goes Bananas, if I can get a bit meta here for a second. But I think the people picking these things out I think a lot of us were sort of looking for things that really were of their time mm-hmm. in a way that was very sort of recognizably that era. Yes. Yeah. And it's not like these are the only kinds of music or the only kinds of movies that were being made at the time. But like, if you look at something like what Gwen Stefani was doing in the late 90s, that's a very specific thing. Yes. And that's something that like wouldn't happen today, whereas like there's a lot of stuff that was happening in the late 90s that still might feel very comfortable. Uh, not comfortable, you know what I mean, appropriate, modern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In general, I think it's mid-2000s. In case you all who are listening haven't picked up, the name of the show is inspired by Hollaback Girl. And in general, Hollaback Girl is just a absolutely like thoroughly unique song in terms of pop history it's so strange and it's like pharrell right it's the neptunes right yeah yeah all three of us have a mutual friend named dave but uh Mm -hmm. the the first conversation that i ever had with him i should probably be a little bit more clear dave is our manager he's uh famous from the patrick h willems videos where he plays dave the agent Dave the Agent in the Patrick H. Willems video, actually Patrick's agent and also ours. He was also in a Mr. Beast video. (laughs) Also in a Mr. Beast video. Actually quite similar to how Patrick Willems is the exact same in real life. Dave the Agent is exactly like Dave the Agent from Patrick H. Willems. Exactly the same in real life, yeah. But yeah, so like I was, when I was first looking to like sign with him and start working with him, we had a call scheduled and I call and like, he's like, Hey, how are you? And I'm like, I'm good. How are you? And he's like, so Alex Nickel just found out about Hollaback Girl. <laughs> so I've been dealing with that today. <laughs> wow. This I didn't know that was the such first a... <laughs> thing he ever said. To me. That's incredible. I'm so glad I have that spot in just our collective history. <laughs> That's so funny. On a similar note, that's something I was really thinking about when making the show, which is that usually discourse around like people my age reacting to things from the past is like super, I don't know if derogatory is the right word, but it's done in a way that kind of paints us as like stupid idiots or something like that. Yeah. I'm thinking like of like the Ellen segment where she has like Zoomers like try to use like a rotary phone or something like that. Even like teens react isn't super like generous. Yeah, it's that or it's like making fun of the work itself, you know, where you have like these kids listening. I was like, oh, this Pink Floyd song is bad and I don't like it and you should stop caring about it. And the joke is more, yeah, like, haha, this is just not a thing anymore. Exactly. And which I think is like really weak criticism in general. One of the things I wanted to do with the show is walk a very specific line between like, clearly I don't paint myself as an idiot in the show. I don't think. I hope not. Like, I clearly know how to do my research. I know how to interpret media properly, at least. But at the same time, it's also like it saves some of the genuine reaction that you get when you see someone experience something for the first time. And it doesn't do so in a way where 
it like makes fun of me or punches down on me in any way. It doesn't make fun of the Zoomers, kind of what I'm going for. And that's something that I'm really proud about with the show. Because like I said, I feel like a lot of discourse around this is like, look at this idiot Zoomer. Look at how dumb he is for not knowing who Limp Biscuit is or something like that, or not knowing who the Spice Girls are. But I don't know. I, I just, what I wanted to do with the show is say like, like, okay, I know what I'm doing here. I think there's a way we can effectively combine the elements of like, oh, you don't actually know this with... Uh, without punching down or like making fun of an entire generation for just being younger. The thing that like separates Alex Goes Bananas, for me at least, mm -hmm. from a lot of that stuff is that it has a sense of curiosity to it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. too. Like, thank you. It's mm -hmm. coming from a place where it's like, yeah, obviously you probably haven't heard of Limp Biscuit. Why would you? Yeah. But also, it's not going in cynical or like dismissive to make fun of the fact that you haven't heard of it or yeah. it's not cynical it's not dismissing the work and it's not dismissing your intelligence for knowing it it's very much like exactly trying to engage with the work and i think that that's mm -hmm. like an important part of any serious sort of artistic examination i completely agree yeah that was something i made sure i did going into the show and I really like the way that you kind of situate it within a cultural context because none of these Thank artifacts you. are made on their own. Yeah. And I think that that's something where people look at this stuff and like, especially when it's kind of like older people like us looking at reactions, I think a lot of people forget the fact that there's a lot of cultural context that I, like, I'm not necessarily thinking of the cultural context when I watch a Slipknot music video or whatever, mm -hmm. but I inherently know all of this context. Yeah, you have associations. Yeah. Yeah, whereas like, I mean, especially something like Slipknot, if you just showed somebody a Slipknot video and they had no idea what new metal was, they had no idea what the <laughs> kind of like grungy aesthetics of the time were, like they had no idea about any of that, they would be like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Which is fair. Imagine if that was someone's like first song. <laughs> Real quickly to check, like Alex. Yeah. It wasn't one of the videos you made on AGB. Do you know Slipknot? Slipknot was not one of the AGB videos. They came up in my research just because new metal has come up and I've like read Wikipedia yeah. pages on them, but I don't like really truly know who they are in the same way I know who like Limp Bizkit is because I've done a full deep dive into them. Just curious. Mm -hmm. Just curious if that had made it to you. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but I feel like if you're aware of new metal, like Slipknot makes sense to you. If you're not aware mm -hmm. that new metal was a thing and you watch the friggin' like psychosocial video and have a bunch of these dudes in weird masks and stuff like that, it'd be a very strange experience. Like there's so much cultural context behind all of these things. Yeah. yeah. Completely agree. And that was something that I really kind of departing from music for a second. But that was something I really emphasized in the Family Matters video. I talked like a lot in that video about like ABC and the network and just kind of all the factors behind the scenes, just because like I kind of wanted to emphasize like this was a show that was made because a network thought it would sell to people. And that was partially because, of course, I criticized the show very heavily in the episode. And I wanted to kind of, you know, emphasize that alongside the fact that like someone made this because they thought it would be profitable. But yeah, I think taking things in their context is a very important aspect of the show just when it comes to like considering everything fairly. I think we can start to kind of wrap it up here, but do you have any kind of thoughts you want to, you know, bring up about A, Alex Goes Bananas, or B, just generally about Alex Goes Bananas led us into a wider discussion about the ways that different generations interact with music and culture. So do you have any kind of closing insights or anything that you want to get in before we uh, sign off? Yeah, no closing insights specifically, but I do kind of want to touch on something that you just said and that we've been kind of talking about, which is that I'm really happy a lot of the, the response to Alex Goes Bananas hasn't been like, look at how stupid Alex is for not knowing like Napster or something like that, but rather just like, wow, like you don't know what Napster is and actually seeing like 
how much joy I find in the process of like actually learning about these things and reacting to them for the first time and kind of reminding people of, you know, how they reacted for the first time. So that's something I'm just really happy about when it comes to the reception of the series. And yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's kind of like, you know, the XKCD, I think it was like today's 10,000 people or whatever the number is, but just like, you know, anything that everyone knows about, you have to learn about at some point. And so Mm -hmm. I think that you know, whenever we've been having these, as you say, like often when we get like Nebula creators together, we'll wind up grilling Alex about bands <laughs> he may or may not have heard. Mm-hmm. But like, I do think in that context, a lot of that isn't really about making fun of you. Mm-hmm. And I agree. It is more sort of trying to reflect on our cultural experience and also potentially tell you about cool things you should check out. Yeah, totally. And I think that that translated well into the way that you did Alex Goes Bananas and then the way that it got received. Mm-hmm. This might seem a little too highfalutin, but I do think it's important work to build these almost like intergenerational coalitions because I think Mm -hmm. so often generations are kind of turned against each other and, you know, like made to make fun of each other and okay, boomer, okay, zoomer. Like (laughs) there's a lot of like kind of seething rage between generations and there's Mm -hmm. reasons for it at times, but it frustrates me so much when I see people my age treating people Alex's age the way that older people treated me when I was younger and I got pissed yeah. off about, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's like, you've been through that. You know it sucks. Like, a thing I've seen a lot of is just, like, millennials deciding that Zoomers hate us and then making, like, big, like, long, drawn-out responses to why Zoomers hate us. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, Zoomers don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> yeah. If I ever need, like, a good hit of, like, just content, sometimes I'll, like, watch TikToks of, like, millennials, like, making like rap disses against like Zoomers, like white millennial women doing like Eminem parodies of how much they hate Zoomers. And I'm like, oh my God, what does the world come to? I have whole discussions on this, but that's a topic for another day and another podcast because we've gone on enough tangents. Yeah, we're, we're pretty deep in this one, but... Yeah, in short, Zoomers are cool. Millennials are cool. It's okay to have different cultural experiences. And part of the fun of living is sharing those cultural experiences with each other. And I think that that's something Alex Goes Bananas is great at. And I think that's something that I, it was really fun to do with you this podcast. Thank you so much. Couldn't have said it better myself. If people want to find you, where can they find you? Your direct address, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My address is 1600 Pennsylvania. No, um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, please, please follow me. I'm at Alex U. Nickel on Twitter and Instagram and nearly every platform imaginable. That's Nickel, just like the coin, N-I-C-K-E-L, just like the coin, which is what I have to say whenever someone's like, what's your name at like a hotel or whatever? I'm like, oh, okay. Anyways, if you want, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I make Alex Goes Bananas on Nebula. I make Technicality on YouTube. I make Behold This Compost at beholdthiscompost.com or wherever books are sold, including textbook websites. I once found my book on a textbook website for like twice the usual price of the book, which just goes to show you that textbooks are marked way up just because they're textbooks. So that was weird. But anyways, yeah, uh, (laughs) I think that's all the plugs I have. That's most of what I do. Yeah, follow me on Instagram. Like my posts, I guess. Follow me on TikTok. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You got anything, Corey? I think I have said everything I need to say. Do y'all know what my social media accounts are probably (laughs) by now? So follow those or don't. Well, thank you all for listening. This has been Ghost Notes. And Friends.